I almost forgot. Shannon? I, I knew I was going to forget. I have a terrible memory. This is a card that came from uh, Thelma, Pastor Thelma, and her husband Wayne, to our wonderful friends at Emmanuel. May you enjoy the simple blessings that matter most at Christmas and all through the year. We think of you often, pray for you, and miss you. May God bless you in special, awesome, powerful ways in 2020. Thelma and Wayne. I know a lot of you have fond memories of Thelma. Thelma and I have a lot in common, actually. We're both drummers, so. All right. All right. We're going to be, we're going to start this morning in Luke chapter 1. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn there. There's also Bibles in the seats in front of you. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, so it might be a little bit different than what you have. We're going to start in Luke chapter 1 and uh, verse 26. So we continue our short Christmas series, Hark the Angelic Announcements of Christmas. Today to Mary and Joseph. All right, so Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is going to be a miracle of the Holy Spirit, a virgin conception. Verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. That was last week's message. For nothing will be impossible with God. I love that reminder. I know this sounds crazy. I know it's a, obviously it's impossible. And a lot of skeptics over the centuries, including today, refuse to believe the virgin conception because, well, it's impossible. And they're right. It is. But God has a track record of doing impossible things, doesn't he? And so it said, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. All right, so that was the angelic encounter of Gabriel to Mary. And now if we go to Matthew chapter 1, we're going to see an angelic encounter to Joseph. So Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, which we just read. 
And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Of course, he thought she was cheating on him. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. All right, may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. The internet is full of all sorts of strange and useless information. And one day I was clicking around the internet, as we do, and I stumbled upon this little gem, a boy whose real name is Jed I. Knight. That is a parenting win. That's amazing. (laughs) When we named our five kids, we took a lot of time to choose their names carefully. This is a name they're going to have for the rest of their life, you know, so we had to consider a lot of different things. How does it flow off the tongue? Does it rhyme with something inappropriate? Um, Do the initials spell a dirty word? Will this lead to teasing? We are all these sorts of things that we had to consider when choosing a name for our child. Uh, and e- with each of our kids, we also looked at the meaning of the name. That was important to us. What do these names mean? In Jewish, in Jewish culture, uh, names and their meanings were and are very important. Your name wasn't just a name. It meant something about you. And so for this uh, author, Rabbi Crone, he says, in Judaism... Uh, A name is not merely a conglomeration of letters put together as a convenient way to refer to someone. Ideally, it is a definition of the individual, a description of his or her personality and interpretation of his or her traits. It may even be a portent of the person's future, or perhaps a prayer that the person bearing this particular name shall live up to the potential expressed in the name. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary and then an angel, we don't know, that one's not named, but it may also be Gabriel, we're not sure, came to Joseph in a dream, the angel or angels not only told them about the divine origin of this baby that Mary was going to have, but he also told them what to name the baby. And not only did the angel give them the name Jesus as his proper name, but the angel also mentioned several titles that this child would have in his life. And if you read through again those two angelic announcements that we read this morning, you'll see in there about four or five names or titles of Jesus that are announced by the angel to Mary and Joseph before he was born. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to actually look at some of those names and titles that were given to Jesus by the angel to Mary and Joseph and, and see what they tell us about who Jesus is and what Jesus was going to do. So the names or titles that were given 
uh, of Jesus that were given by the angel or angels to Mary and Joseph for this. Son of God or Son of the Most High. Emmanuel was another one. I've grouped those together on purpose. You'll see why in a minute. Holy. He's referred to, he will be called Holy. The name Jesus and King. Now, it doesn't actually say the title King. He will be the King, but they talk about his kingdom and how he will reign. So there's a reference to him being a king. Now, as I studied each of these titles, I noticed something interesting. Each one of them relates to or speaks into a time period of Jesus' existence. So, Son of God, Son of the Most High, Emmanuel, that speaks into Jesus' pre-existence as God. And the title Holy speaks into His life. The title Jesus, the name Jesus, speaks into his death and resurrection. And the name King, the title King, speaks into his ongoing and future ministry. So the whole kind of story of Jesus is represented just in these names and titles that the angel gives to Mary and to Joseph. So let's look at each one of these and unpack them a little bit, starting with Son of God, or Son of the Most High, or Emmanuel. So in Luke 1.32, we read, He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. Son of Yahweh, of God, the one who is higher and greater than any other. In Luke 1.35, a few verses later, we read, The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then in Matthew, the angel said, They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this child to be born is not just a prophet, not just a, a, a Jewish rabbi, not just some guru or something like that. He is literally, literally the incarnation of God. That word incarnation, what does that mean? Well, the word carnation or car, uh, you know, carne, it's, it comes from the Greek for meat or flesh. The same root as the word carnivore. Got any carnivores in the room? Yes. When I was, in, I was in Kenya, 2008, and there's a restaurant in Kenya called The Carnivore. And you, get to eat, you can eat all kinds of weird African meat at The Carnivore. But anyway, um, <clears throat> that word incarnation literally means in meat, in flesh. So God incarnate, or the incarnation of God, means God with skin on. God in a physical human body. Two passages in the Bible that give us a, an even better picture of this are John chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1. And uh, I'll just, I won't uh, belabor these, but in John chapter 1, in, verse, in the first couple of verses, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's referring to Jesus in His pre-incarnate form. And then, in uh, verse 14, it says that he took on flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let me read that. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So he came and he took on flesh. He added humanity to his divinity. He put skin on. And then in, in Colossians chapter 1, we have uh, a similar uh, statement here that agrees with John. It says this in Colossians 1.15. He is the image 
of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And that doesn't mean that Jesus was born. It means that it's referring to his status as, as the firstborn, as the Son of God. Okay? Uh, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. So obviously he wasn't born because he's the creator of everything. Uh, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God dwelt in him. Jesus is literally the, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh, from our vantage point, Emmanuel, God with us. The, the Christmas carol says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. So when the angel told Mary, Your child will be called the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, God with us, Emmanuel. That's what the angel was talking about. He wouldn't just be a great prophet or a rabbi or whatever. People, a lot of people think he, he was just those things. But he was more than that. He was and literally is God in the flesh. Amen? Amen. amen. You're allowed to say amen, by the way. Um, you know, Bruxy Cavey was our speaker this summer at, uh, at Oasis. And he said, the test to know if you're speaking to a group of Baptists is whether or not they'll just say amen or if you have to prompt them to say amen by saying amen. Amen? amen. See, I'm speaking to Baptists. That's the test. You don't just say it. You have to actually ask if, if they want to say it. Um, so f- please say it anytime you want. Um, now, when Gabriel speaks to Mary, he also calls this child Holy. Luke 1, 35, the child to be born will be called holy. Holy means pure, without blemish, unstained, set apart, different from that which is around it. If this is the world here and all of its messiness and sin, holy is, is something that's taken out of that and set apart, set up on a shelf to be separate and, and un, untainted by this. And that's what the word holy refers to. And so when it said Jesus will be holy, uh, he was fully human, yes, and he lived amongst us. But he was the only human being in history who was never unstained or, or tainted by the world. He never committed a single sin. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as like us, yet without sin. Awesome. That is so good. So, and it's so important because in order to be the Savior of humankind, Jesus had to be a perfect sacrifice, a spotless lamb. The Old Testament law repeatedly taught that sacrifices for sin had to be made with animals without blemish. The best of the herd, the finest of the flock, these are what God required. And so Jesus, in his absolute perfection, was actually, go to the next slide, yeah, there it is, because of his absolute perfection, was actually able to satisfy God for all eternity as the perfect and ultimate sacrifice for our sin. 
Amen? Amen. All right. Hebrews chapter 9 continues. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify or make holy or purify, uh, 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 sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish, perfect to God, how much more will He purify our conscience from, conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The fact that Jesus was without sin is a huge factor in why His death actually had the power to forgive our sins. So He was holy. Truly holy. He lived for roughly 33 years on this planet and was able to keep Himself unstained by the world. And as Jesus' followers, we are likewise called to be holy. We are supposed to emulate Jesus, to be imitators of God. Ephesians 5, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're supposed to do that too. 1 John 2, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's what we're called to do, but the problem is we can't do it. We can't do it on our own. We can't be holy like Jesus was holy. We can't be perfect like Jesus was perfect because we are sinners, because we have a sinful nature inside of us. And the Bible says that all of us are tainted by this and the wages of sin is death. That's why we need a Savior. And so the angel told Mary and Joseph, name the baby Jesus. Yeshua. So let's review. Son of God, the angel said, he will be called the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, Emmanuel, God with us, God incarnate in the flesh, the real, true, triune God will be the second person of the Trinity is going to be literally in this human form with us, dwelling amongst us, and he will be holy. He will live this life of perfection. He will be, he will be, offer, be able to offer himself as the perfect, spotless sacrifice and name him Jesus the name Jesus in the Hebrew is Yeshua or Joshua and it means God saves the name Jesus means God saves speaks into his death and his resurrection as the savior of humanity from the consequences of sin the angel said to Joseph she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. At Christmas we celebrate the manger, but over the manger is the shadow of the cross. It's remarkable that he would come to us, leaving the perfection of heaven, taking on the form of a helpless baby, knowing all along that it would end on a Roman cross. And that he would do all that even when we were in rebellion against him. That is love. And because of the greatness of his love and his willingness to do that for us, we can be restored back to God through faith. Earlier I read from Colossians uh, chapter 1, 15 to 19. Let me pick up where I left off. 
uh, of reading, uh, starting at verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Through faith, Jesus will present us to the Father, holy and blameless. And instead of us receiving the just penalty for our rebellion against God, we are covered by His blood. The blood of His cross makes peace between us and God. Amen. So God saves. That's what the name Jesus means. God saves. If we trust in Jesus, we hold to the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are saved by God's grace. Born again into new life with Christ. As the carol says, he was born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Okay, so we've got the Son of God. Son of the Most High, Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh, speaking into his pre-existence as part of the triune Godhead. And then the title Holy, speaking into his life, his perfect, sinless 33 years that he would live on the earth. And then the name Jesus, speaking into his death and his resurrection as the Savior of the human race. And finally, the fourth title that the angel sort of infers is King. And that speaks into his ongoing and future ministry. Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 32 to 33. Let me read that again. Luke 1, 32 to 33. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, the king. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So throne, reign, kingdom, we're talking about a king here. The Old Testament prophesied about the Messiah, the Christ, that he would be a king. And Jesus fulfilled those prophecies as he was and is the Christ, the King, the Messiah. But his kingdom wasn't exactly what a lot of Jews had in mind at the time. Many were looking for a king who would overthrow Rome. They wanted to restore the power and the glory of Israel like it was in the days of King David. But that's not the kind of king Jesus was coming to be. It wasn't a political or a geographic kingdom that Jesus was coming to establish. It was something much greater much bigger. You know, they, they were sort of disappointed. The Jewish people were sort of disappointed. But what Jesus was doing was so much better. Because it wasn't just going to be something that happened in this little strip of land in the Middle East. It was going to be so much bigger than that. A spiritual, worldwide kingdom that surpasses all ethnic and geographic boundaries. A kingdom established in people's hearts where Christ reigns on the throne of people's lives. And I could preach a whole sermon, a whole sermon series on the kingdom of God and what that means, and maybe I will someday. Yeah, but there's so much. That's good. Whew, man. Yeah. We got a little bit of Pentecostal happening here this morning. It's good. Let's keep it going. I went to a, a PAOC, a Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada Church, for four years when I was in university. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm sort of a Baptocostal. 
so it's a good thing. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we will get to the kingdom of God sometime. Uh, but Jesus, a sermon series on the kingdom of God, <laughs> to clarify. <laughs> Jesus was called the king, and he embraced the title. Now, you, you may know as the nativity story goes that King Herod was not impressed with uh, somebody other than himself being called the king of the Jews. Uh, he didn't want to share the throne. Herod didn't want a king. He's the king. I want to be the king. I want to be the man in charge. And you know, the truth is, the truth is, all of us have a little bit of Herod in us, don't we? We don't really want a king either. Just look at Canada. We have a, a, the queen. The queen's a nice old lady. I, I think she's great. I might even consider myself a bit of, of a monarchist. Um, I, I, but, but here's the thing. We don't give the queen any real power over the affairs of Canada. We wouldn't be okay with that. We like our democracy the way it is. We want to get to have a say in who represents us and governs over, governs over us. Governs over us. So even though we might think, oh, the queen is nice, the queen's sweet, we think she's cute, uh, we're happy... We're happy to sing to her. God save her. Long live our noble queen. That's great. Put our face on our money. Um, we don't really want to be ruled by the queen, do we? No. And you know, that's a lot of how we treat, that's a lot like how we treat King Jesus too. Oh yeah, he's a nice guy. We like him. We'll sing praises to him. We'll take an oath of loyalty to him just as long as he doesn't interfere with my life. My life decisions, my friendships, my money, my hobbies, and my habits, as long as I can continue to be the actual king over my life, I'll be quite content with that. Maybe we're afraid that King Jesus is not really a good king. We're afraid he's a tyrant who will rule over us with an iron fist to make our lives miserable, or something of that nature. But here's the truth. And we'll, we'll wrap up with this. The truth is that he is a flawless king. He's a king of love. He's a king of perfect decision making. He's a king of unparalleled wisdom. He's a king of kindness. He is a servant king. He's a king who sacrifices himself for his people. His kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. Jesus is king. And here's the question for you this morning. Have you placed him on the throne of your life? Who is sitting on the throne of your life? Jennifer, you can come and get ready to play for us. The angels' announcements to Mary and Joseph and the names and titles that he gives to Jesus it tells us a great deal about who Jesus was and continues to be. He's the Son of God. He is holy. He is the Savior. He's the King. Let's praise Him. Let's praise Him. Let's remember who He is and keep Him at the center of our lives. Let's keep Him on the throne of our hearts. Let's live like He is truly the King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God incarnate, the sinless, perfect Lamb of God. Yeah. Our one and only Savior, the Alpha and Omega, the light of the world, the hope of mankind, the Redeemer, the Messiah, Jesus. Turn your eyes to Him. Surrender your heart to Him. Trust and follow Him and seek first His kingdom, for He is good and He is worthy of all that we could ever give Him and so much more. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand. We're going to close with, with praise to our King Jesus.
Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you this morning uh, for what you're doing in our hearts, God. You are so good, so perfect, and so holy. And we want to surrender ourselves to you afresh, Lord, in this moment. God, we want to give you praise and glory and honor. We want, to, uh, we want our hearts uh, to, be, uh, to be surrendered to your kingship. And so, Father, as we go through this Christmas season and all of the other distractions and uh, good distractions and some not good distractions that we have this time of year, Father, we pray that you would help us to keep our hearts and our minds focused on Jesus. Help us to understand more fully all of who he is and what he has done for us, Lord. We've only scratched the surface this morning. He is so much greater and so much more wonderful than we could ever even begin to imagine. We pray. Amen.